Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast of Fleetwood Mac's 1977 incredible album, Rumors. Because we're, we're, we're going to talk about rumors. Tusk is better. <laughs> wow. I've been told that we cannot actually play any songs from rumors over this. Otherwise, Fleetwood Mac will come to the Vergecast studio and beat up Andrew. So sorry, Andrew. We'll protect you. Please don't play any other music, even though it's great. But joining me in the studio today, not in the studio, joining me today is Dan Seifert. Hello, Dan. Hello. And the incredible Richard Lawler. Hello, Richard. Hello. I would like everyone to know that I did not steal funds. And if you'd like to know more about that, you can subscribe to my Substack. There's a fee. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. As you know, Neil is not here. <laughs> he disappeared. I think he's somewhere upstate. Unclear where. Unclear what's happening. I think he's okay. He's probably okay. Send him all your love and all of your pictures of Mariah Carey to keep him through these cold, long winter nights. But we've got a lot of things going on on the Verge cast today. We've got a ton of Apple rumors. We've got a ton of Samsung rumors. We have no Fleetwood Mac rumors because, again, we don't want Andrew to die. But we, we've just got, there's a whole bunch of things happening today. So we're going to get right into it. Yeah, let's do it. And, and let's get start, started with the biggest rumor that we've all been waiting for. At least some of us what have is been it? waiting for. Or someone has been waiting for. That Apple might finally make a touchscreen Mac. Yes, this is Dan's favorite thing. Dan, you were so excited about this. I've never seen someone <laughs> glow with joy at a really? rumor before. Yeah, you. I like. Am I know I this is like a, a legendary desire for all Vergecast listeners, for all people at the Verge to have a touch MacBook Pro, a touch Mac. Yeah. At all. Yeah. So uh, this rumor is coming from <laughs> yeah. Bloomberg. You said really enthusiastic. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, look, it'll be good. Uh, it'll be fine to have it. I think that there's like, let me just like say what this rumor is. So Mark okay. Gurman at Bloomberg has reported that in 2025, Apple will release its first touchscreen Mac, or at least that's what they're aiming for now, which is two years away at least. And it might use an OLED screen, but the big deal is it would be a touchscreen, which would be first for the Mac. So the way that he's framed this rumor is that this is not iPad hardware running Mac OS. It is okay. kind of framed as like this is a, a MacBook style laptop with a touchscreen on it, which is, you know, very similar to countless Windows running devices that have been on the market for many years that have touchscreens and people like them and they enjoy them and stuff like that. For like a decade. But what it doesn't seem like it is. What's that? It's like a decade. We've had touchscreen Windows yes. machines for over a decade. Yes, very long time. Um, but a lot of those touchscreen devices and those Windows machines have been like convertibles. Either they like flip the screen around behind right. the keyboard or you could do the Surface style and rip the keyboard off, becomes a tablet, stuff like that. This is like, at least how it's framed now in the reporting, it, I am not reading that. I am reading that this is a laptop with a touchscreen and a fixed hinge that extends to a certain opening degrees and then is just always a laptop. You never turn this into a tablet. And so then the question becomes, well, what benefit does that bring, right? And I think that if it pans out that way, it would just be like your main input devices are still the 
keyboard and the trackpad, which have been always, uh, well, at least the trackpad's always been excellent on Macs, and the recent keyboards have been very good. Yeah. Uh, and then the touchscreen is just there, and you can like poke at it to like scroll a, a web page or pinch zoom on something or tap a button or something like that, which is exactly how I use a touchscreen Windows laptop. And that'd be nice. And it's fine. So it's basically like for those of us who have stupid fingers, because I have very stupid fingers and I'll use my iPad all the time. And then I'll go to my MacBook and then I'll be like, oh, I want to make Richard bigger on the screen and just reach out and touch Richard's face. And nothing happens because it's just a normal computer. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's not how those work. It's for me, right? Like it's, it's for those of us who are just like forget. Well, I think it's also for people who are much younger than us. Yeah. Um, who okay. have had touchscreens surrounding them their whole lives, partially due to Apple's success with the iPhone, with the <laughs> iPad. They are used to being able to reach out and touch things. That is, or, when you, or when you, you know, they have Chromebooks that have touchscreens, and that's what they're using in school. And so, like, that's what, you know, they are, they are accustomed to. It is a very natural interaction to want to touch a screen. I can tell you from years of reviewing laptops, many of those Windows laptops that had touchscreens, and every time I would, like, review a laptop for a couple of weeks or whatever and go back to using my work Mac, I would hit the stupid screen by screen. reflex because it became so natural and normal to be able to, like, click an OK button or, you know, um, close a window by just tapping the screen. It's not the primary interaction model. It's just another convenient way to use the device in a natural way that makes sense. I think the people that like really kind of like are um, against this idea are the people mm -hmm. who are of the mind that like my fingers never leave the home row. I know all the keyboard shortcuts and I have perfect typing form and I know how to navigate the whole OS without ever lifting my fingers off the keyboard. And like, that's great for you. You don't ever have to touch the screen if you don't want to. Like, I'm sure Mac OS will still work. Mavis Bacon is very that's proud just of you. Richard. Exactly the way. But like the rest of the world doesn't work. Have you ever watched someone use a computer? Their hands are like all over the place. And like, they, they got their hand down on the trackpad or they are like, you know, have poor typing form like myself. Like, so it's, it's a natural way. It makes sense. The fact that they didn't do it for so long, I think is kind of like, I silly. don't think it's silly though. That they went with the touch bar at all. That that ever happened. The touch bar was incredible. Shut your dirty mouth. It was, it was wonderful. <laughs> I loved it so much. You just, I mean, if you still want it, you could still get it on a MacBook pro 13 inch M2. If you love it that much. The other day I was going and I have a stream deck at home and it has a button on it that I just press and it opens a quick post and I can immediately pop off a quick post. And now instead I have to like do more things. And I was like, man, I wish this MacBook Air had a touch bar with a quick post button on it. And I could just go boop. Like I miss, I, I dream about a touch bar that works perfectly. It never existed, but it could have. Okay. My heart. <laughs> and that was what struck me because I went, I went back and looked at uh, Jake's review of the first MacBook Pro that had a touch bar. Yeah. And that was kind of what he said was that the idea was decent and that he could see where, where there were opportunities for it, but the software didn't exist. And now years later, we know that the software never existed. It never the, existed. The use case, it, it just never really came about. It never, it never got the buy-in. Yeah, there was like three developers who were like, they, those three developers were working so hard and they were doing so much cool stuff. And then you'd be like, wow, I can't do anything else but like mute. But I can mute real fast and it's great and I don't have to think about it. I guess I could also do that with physical buttons. Changing the volume takes three taps, I believe it took, as opposed to just, you know, one. Yeah. <laughs> Rude. I, the, other, the other way to it's look great. at this, I think, is mm -hmm. you could argue that Apple has already made a touchscreen laptop and it's called the iPad with the Magic Keyboard, or now even more so the Magic Keyboard Folio. And I think the Magic Keyboard Folio is the more instructive use case here, the one that came out for the 10th gen iPad, because... The Magic Keyboard for the iPad Pro kind of is designed to bring that screen forward toward you so it's closer to you so that when you do touch it, it's not like you're reaching as far. But the Magic Keyboard Folio is the opposite. Its design is like pretty far away for you to be reaching up and touching the screen, much like it is with a laptop. And the screen is like kind of a distance for you to touch. And so your primary interactions when you're using the Magic Keyboard Folio with the iPad is you're using the keyboard and the trackpad. And then occasionally you're tapping the screen to select a box or hit OK or close a window or scroll or just zoom, whatever it is convenient for you. But again, it's it's like this extra interaction. So this is what I wanted to talk about. Because like, 
Okay, they say we're going to do a touch. It's going to be a MacBook. It's going to look like a MacBook. It's going to act like a MacBook. And it'll just have a touch thing on it. And, like, you could go and do that for years now. You could go and, like, hack one. Put a. There are these mm-hmm. cool little, like, weird screen overlays you could do. Don't do it. They were terrible. But you could theoretically do it. Uh, it was, like, the worst experience in the world. But the problem is, like, iPad exists. And iPad is built for touch. And all the buttons are big for touch. Everything is intended for touch. The MacBook is not intended for touch. And I don't think anybody wants the buttons to suddenly it's- get huge. And but they all of those are. touch. Have you seen Control Center on recent macOS? Like, I am looking huge. at my little, my little, you know, the little dots that make your windows get big and small. Those are still small. Sure. But I would imagine on like on if it was a touch, I'd want them big so that I don't. And those are annoying to hit with a mouse. They should be big. <laughs> so you're you're a pro big button. You're. Yeah, yeah. I, I see I, how. I it mean, is. look. With, so this is this rumor is two years out, right? So that yeah. is two versions of macOS that they can tweak mm-hmm. and adjust and continue to bring macOS closer to this touch experience. Like we're already we we I think if you look back like two macOS reviews ago, mm-hmm. the story was about how they're making it more like an iPad with the Control Center updates right. and some other interaction things. This year they brought Stage Manager, which is very obviously an iPad first designed feature that you can also run on the Mac, but it works Mm -hmm. like it does on the iPad. And so like you could see that these next steps are going to come. They'll figure out some way to do window management in a nice, more toucher friendly way. But again, I don't know if touch is ever going to be the primary interaction. They still haven't figured out how to do windows management on an iPad though. Like just last, like two years ago that they were like, we're doing windows. Or on a Mac in my opinion. But But that, that's like, that's, that's not because it's not touchable. It's because of the iPad's OS structure and the way that they are trying to reinvent everything. But if the people are behind both. But like the iPad comes from everything as a touch first experience. And this in a, in a, in a laptop, the touch layer is not the first primary way of interacting with it. It is like a tertiary interaction level. And so like, you don't need everything to be touch friendly. Like on Windows, not everything is touch friendly. Like there's lots of little fiddly things on Windows that when you're using touchscreen on a Windows device, like are still fiddly. Microsoft has changed it a little bit. They they get the, the taskbar a little bigger. The buttons get a little bit larger when you switch into tablet mode and stuff like that. But there's still a lot of fiddly checkboxes. It's still Windows. And I don't think that really needs to change because it's not like this would be the primary interaction. It's just like certain things you would want to touch or you would reflexively touch. I think the thing that I always end up doing is on the lock screen, when you log in, you type in your password and you want to click OK. And you want to touch the button to hit OK, which it's is so already satisfying. <laughs> Just boop. Exactly. And so like things like that is where you will touch. And that's, that's what we've seen on, on Windows, like those like three buttons to manage the windows. They, they're not a lot bigger than they used to be, but they've gotten more touch friendly. They, they figured it out. If, my, if Microsoft can figure out how to make the UI uh, touch friendly between Windows 8 and Windows 11, and it mostly is now. Mostly, most of the time. <laughs> mostly. I'm pretty sure Apple can, can do something there. The other point here is that you can run iPad apps on the Mac now. Like if you open the home app on the Mac, it is essentially the iPad app running on the Mac with the same interaction, the same UI and the same interface. And that goes on for like a number of other apps. So like it's not weird to run those. It'd actually be better to use those with touch because they were designed touch first. So a lot of the things are like, I would like to be able to touch this screen. But then if I'm using, I don't know, I'm looking at GarageBand in my web browser right now, I probably would not interact with those with touch primarily. I would use my mouse and keyboard like I always have. Oh, are we going to get to a point? They always say every time these rumors start flying and we start hearing about like the touchscreen MacBooks and the, the, the continued fusion of iPad OS and Mac OS, we start talking about walled gardens. How, like, if we had to do, there's there's the Go90 scale, which is all about streaming services, but I think there should be, like, a walled garden scale from, like, no wall to wall. That's a terrible scale, but that's what it is. How in danger do you think the unwalled garden of Mac OS is with a touch Mac and that, that like, iPad energy getting more infused into the Mac? Because I'm a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. Um, I mean, I mean, the optimist in me which is a rare person who comes out. You don't see the optimism. Yeah, who is, this is not, uh, this is not Dan. I don't, I don't think it, like, again, I don't think, because I don't see them making touch the primary interaction level, which would mean that like you would design an app that runs in the app store so it can be installed on 
uh, Mac, iOS, and iPad all at the same time. It has to run through the App Store to do that, right? Right. That's if the touch is the first primary interaction level. But if you're still able to make Mac apps that use a keyboard and mouse and have all their keyboard shortcuts support and things like that, or keyboard and trackpad, what have you, as long as you're still able to do that and those are still able to run because it's still Mac OS, they didn't don't change it that drastically, then like you'll still be able to download apps from websites and from, you know, stuff like that and run them already right now. That's kind of an annoying thing to do because you have to like jump through a bunch of checkboxes to get the thing to install. Yeah. But I don't see how adding touch changes that, especially if touch is not the primary interaction. level. I have one question for, for Dan that I, I want to ask you, are we glossing over the OLED rumor? Like how, how big of a change would it be to have OLED screens on MacBook pros from, from the screens that we have now, the, um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. We're going to probably talk about the, the uh, micro LED rumor, uh, later on in the show, but like mini micro, micro LED, micro LED. Yes. Micro, micro No, LED? we say no <laughs> micro LED. We're not saying micro LED. <laughs> Absolutely not. Richard, uh, no, do not. Nobody normalize that. Everybody listening, so you're the, not allowed to normalize that. <laughs> Please normalize it. Tweet at, tweet at Alex. Um, recordings LED. of you saying it. <laughs> So there's like the, in the span of like, or the, the progression of display technology for computers, right? It's like LCD and then mini LED, which Apple's already at with the MacBook Pro 14 and 16, and then OLED and then micro LED. And OLED would have, you know, slightly better blacks than the current crop of mini LED. But I got to tell you, the mini LED screens on the 14 and the 16 MacBook Pro look phenomenal. Like, I, I, I don't know how much I would appreciate having OLED instead of them. Like maybe it would be a little bit more efficient. Maybe it would be using less power. I don't know. Uh, but they get way brighter than any OLED laptop I've ever seen. And they get way brighter than most OLED screens that we're familiar with. So like if you go from mini LED to OLED, that's kind of like a small step in certain respects, but maybe a sidestep in others. And then when you get to micro LED, that is supposed to bring the all the benefits of OLED and all the benefits of mini LED without the drawbacks of either of them. The drawbacks of OLED being the fact that it's organic and can have burn-in and can degrade over time. And then mini LED being not quite as black blacks or high levels of contrast as OLED offers, but micro LED is able to offer that. So like it's a stepping towards it. I, I feel like the OLED, you're like if you're, they're on, they're on mini LED right now, right? Yes. And the plan is micro LED, but primarily for watches first, even though that's like the weirdest place to put it. Well, yeah. I mean, if we want to just jump to that report, I mean like the other thing, there's been so many like Apple rumors this week. So the other thing, from no, 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 Mr. I want to talk about rumor. my thing first. I want to talk about my free thing first. Everybody, get excited. These rumors are coming. <laughs> I told you this is a rumors episode. We're all talking rumors. But I was just going to say, like, it doesn't make sense to go to OLED if you're at mini LED, because the reason mm -hmm. that OLED is so captivating on a TV is you don't get all that bloom that you get with edge lighting or that you get with mini LED. That's That makes sense. Like, you get a lot of bloom in a 55-inch TV. You don't mm -hmm. get a lot of bloom very often in a high quality laptop display like you see in a Mac. So it doesn't make sense to yeah, go like OLED I is mean, such I think if you, a minor if upgrade. If you had a high quality OLED display and compared it side by side though, you would notice. Like we can we can see a difference between the mini LED in the um, Pro Display XCR, which was like the first uh -huh. mini LED kind of technology that Apple came out with. And then it went into the iPad Pro 12.9 and it got better right. in the iPad Pro 12.9. And then it went into the MacBook Pro 14 and 16. And it did get noticeably better when you put them side by side. There's less blooming because there are more mini LEDs in those laptops than there was on the iPad or the Pro Display XDR. Right. Maybe if you put the OLEDs next to a mini LED, you would see that kind of same step forward where okay. it's like, okay, now, now that blooming I didn't notice before, oh, I see it now. And yeah. I can, don't see it on the OLED. My thought is that the OLED just won't get the same brightness. It just won't hit the same levels of brightness. But well, I, I think my, my question or my thought for the, about why they might do this, if we assume that all the rumors we've heard this week are true, every single thing is going to come true. Exactly Everything's going to happen. Hell, well. Nothing sure. will change. That, that some micro LED is coming from Apple, that they're going to do OLED laptops, that the reason why you would have this design target for these 2025 MacBook Pros as OLED screens is because you don't think that the micro LED technology will be ready for yeah. a laptop by then. Right. right. And it may not be ready for several years, even after that. Even if they get it in the watch, it could take years to scale. But up. it sounds like it's going to be expensive. Right. 
Right. So like, then the question is, do they stick with the mini LED for until micro LED is ready in a laptop size? Or do they do this kind of like half step forward with an OLED before going the full step to micro LED? I guess we did see a lot of OLEDs at CES this year. We saw a lot of OLED yeah. laptops. There's a ton so, of OLED laptops on the market. Like there's, uh, Monica's reviewed a bunch of them. There's, they range in prices now. You can get OLED laptops running Windows for about $1,000 now. And they do look really good, but they don't hit nearly the brightness of the MacBook Pros. Like right. they don't hit the, the regular everyday brightness and they certainly don't hit the HDR brightness. So that's like what mini LED brings that OLED, as we've seen it so far, does not. So in two years, maybe it, OLED will have gotten to a point. They, it gets a little bit brighter every year, right? Like the TVs have gotten a little bit brighter every single year. Maybe they'll yeah. get a little bit brighter enough to, to, to get up to the point of where <laughs> mini LED is at. The, the last thing that, that I wanted to get on on this particular thing is that it's a turn from Apple. They, they've like, like we've said kind of at the beginning that they, they were not doing touchscreen laptops. They said they wouldn't do touchscreen laptops. Now, if they yep. would. But if you think about Apple, isn't it kind of that's their thing is to say that they won't do something and then eventually later say that they did it and did it better than anyone else. I mean, that's uh, yeah, that's totally Apple's MO. I think what's interesting about the touchscreen, though, is that it's taken so long for them to make that turn. Like 10 years, 10 years or more. longer. Like, yeah. Even longer. It's probably closer to 15 years. And Steve so, like, Jobs when- was saying absolutely not to touchscreen laptops. When he was alive, and he passed away in what twenty eleven, like two thousand nine or two thousand ten, when they launched the iPad, right? Uh, yeah, he said we'll was, never see this. Yeah, his argument was that like your arm gets tired and it's clumsy trying to use it as touch, and like that is true if touch is the only way that you interact with it. But guess what? You also have a keyboard and a trackpad in front of it, so like touch, that's why I'm saying like touch is like this third level of interaction. It's not your primary way of using it. But you, we did see Apple, you know, uh, Steve Jobs also said that they would never do a stylus because it would be like, you know, filing down your fingers or something like that. And lo and behold, the Apple Pencil came out and the Apple Pencil is yeah. really good and stuff like that. So like, yes, Apple's done this, like we will say it's bad or deny it until it happens. And then when we do it, it's the best thing ever. It's just what's interesting is how long the Mac has gone without a touch uh, screen and how they've done these kind of like half steps, like the touch bar that didn't really work or take off instead, instead of just doing the thing that everybody wanted was just put a touch screen on it. All right. We got to talk about the micro. We've talked about the mini LEDs. We've talked about the OLEDs. Oh, I called them OLEDs. Yeah, that's right. We've talked about the touch screens. We got to talk about the micro LEDs because those are only, the rumor is that's only for the watch, right, Dan? Walk me through it. Walk us through it. Yeah. So uh, here's another another report from Mark Erman at Bloomberg. Uh, but this one is backed Busy up guy. by uh, some other reporting that we that Apple is working on micro LED screens, which we've been talking about for a few minutes. Uh, the report is that like the Apple is designing its own displays that it would then work with manufacturers to build, as opposed to buying already designed displays off the shelf and integrating them in its products, and that it will start with making these micro LED screens for the Apple Watch, which is currently using OLED screens uh, and has since launch. And so this would be like kind of the first major screen technology shift for the Apple Watch. And that is, it's also rumored around the timeline of 24 or 25. So we're a little bit ways out. And then once it's in the Apple Watch, maybe it would be in a high-end version, like whatever the version of the Ultra is at that year, uh, it would show up in there. So it's a little bit lower uh, yield or smaller number of devices out there. And then as Apple figures out the manufacturing and is able to bring the cost down, stuff like that, it would trickle down to the phones and then the uh, tablets and then eventually probably the the laptops and the desktop displays. So it's it's like their next level of display technology. Yeah. And I think as we've just discussed, we can find a really great argument for micro LED in a TV, in a desktop display, in a laptop display. But once you get down to a smaller handheld sized device, and once you get down to an Apple Watch especially, I, I, I'm so, it's hard for me to see what micro LED brings to that technology. Because if you look at the Ultra, the Watch Ultra's screen right now, it's bright, it's 2000 nits, it's got incredible viewing angles, it's incredibly vibrant and color rich, and it looks like it's painted on the glass already. And all of yeah, those things are what Mark Ehrman is saying micro LED brings. And it's like, we already have that. That was what, so Chris Welch wrote this really, really great explainer about the micro LED watch. And the two things he was like, so here are the, like, the big things it's supposed to do better. It's supposed to have better, like, I guess, power control because it's 
LEDs instead of OLEDs and they won't burn in, but they'll do basically the same kind of power control, but better somehow. And it'll look like it's painted on the screen. And I'm just, what does that mean? Well, one of the things I wonder <laughs> is that maybe the, the impulse is, A, if, if this is the screen size that they think they can make first. Also, mm-hmm. yeah. something that I've heard people talk about with micro-LED, and we've, we've heard it being talked about to go in for virtual reality and augmented reality, headsets, that kind of te- technology. If you can make the screen a different shape, if you can change maybe the bezel or something like that, if, if it gives them some advantages there, maybe that, that's a reason for them to put it in the watch initially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's I like mean, there's, there's probably the- things that I'm not aware of or not thinking of that it does bring benefits. But at least as in the report that we have about it, in the article that Mark wrote on Bloomberg, he said it does these things, better color reproduction, better brightness, and better viewing angles. And I'm like, none of those things are a problem on the Watch Ultra. <laughs> like, have you, like, nobody's have complaining about you, any of those things. Dan, you've got an Apple Watch. Richard, do you also have an Apple Watch? No. I do not. I assume. Yeah. What, what do you, do you have a smartwatch? I, I have a Fitbit somewhere. Are you, that I, I, are you free? Yeah, I, I'm untethered. You're free. Oh my gosh. What's that I, I like? I don't know how long I've been standing or if, or if I ever did. Yeah. I don't think you, like never. You just sit and float with your computers all around yes. you. Three Surrounded laptops. Surrounded by screens. Newsfeed on all three life. of them. Yeah. But I've, I don't think I've ever looked at my Apple Watch and been like, man, that red just doesn't pop the way I wish it did with a micro LED screen. Like I, I do that with my TV all the time, yeah, but I, not my watch. Here's a optimist take. I'm full of them today. Um, uh, you were you were just pro Apple so today. If, if you look at the Apple Watch's user interface, okay, the design of it is entirely in dark mode. It is designed right. to take advantage of an OLED screen. Uh, all the menus are black. All the backgrounds are black. Many of the watch faces have black backgrounds, so on and so forth. There's, I mean, Apple's been adding more colorful ones over the years. And yes, you can do a light watch face or whatever. But the interface that when you jump into menus and stuff like that is all black. And that right. all of that is stemming from power management on the first Apple watches that came out. And they used OLED screens. And OLED screens consume less power with black backgrounds because they turn on fewer pixels or whatever. Well, they're just not on. Like, those pixels are just off. If micro LED, they're just off. So they're not using as much power. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Or any power when they're off. If micro LED is able to allow Apple to have the same level of power consumption as the OLED and have more interface flexibility, maybe we'll see a revamp of the Apple Watch's UI design, which we haven't seen in since basically since it came out. But how does that work? Uh, maybe we'll see a refresh there because this technology allows them to do more flexibility with what the interface looks like and what is displayed on the screen without consuming more power. That could be a thing. But how does it make it more flexible? I just don't... As, that's, well, like, you could have a white background instead of black. But you're still going to have the same power draw issues you'd have on an OLED. You just wouldn't have to worry about burn-in. I mean, not necessarily. Yeah, because both both micro LEDs and in, in, in OLEDs, their their whole the whole idea is that if it's black, that means there's just nothing on. Right. It's completely th- those pixels are turned off. So like those power draw issues. I don't. Know. This is one of those things where one, I'm like, the micro LED thing just doesn't make that much sense. It seems like a weird hill for for the design wonks at Apple to die on to be like, yes, we're going to pivot so many resources towards a micro LED screen, the smallest we can make on our wrist instead of these other places where there's genuine use case, especially well, us. No, hold on, hold on. Especially when e-ink exists and has even less power draw. <laughs> oh, walked right like, into that. One. It's not like you're out I, here. Yeah. yeah. Y'all were like, you thought yeah, you were well, getting I away mean, with have it. Have you seen e-ink? I mean, come on, Alex. The gallery uh, three is you know coming. Pebble used e-ink. Where's Pebble today? A legend. It wasn't e-ink's fault. Pebble's love. The pessimist take on this is that Apple is doing this transition and move Uh to get away from having to rely on other companies as much. It can design its own screens and design its own things and design its own margins and et cetera, et cetera. And so it's not relying on LG display or Samsung display or Sharp or whoever's making uh, and designing the screens. That is probably what's driving a lot of this. Unless the technology, which we haven't seen, because admittedly, I've never seen a micro LED screen in person. They are only available on like $800,000 TVs that you only get to see if you go to CES and 
I didn't go to see yes. So exactly. The wall, the Samsung yeah. wall. Yeah, I've, really seen, cool. I've seen the Samsung wall. It looks yeah, fine. But like, we've never seen it on a phone size device. We've never seen it on a watch size device. We've never seen it on a laptop size device. We don't, we don't really know how much better it could look in those use cases. So if, un, unless like, if, if it turns out that it's not that much different than OLED that we have or the mini LED that we have, then this reads to me more like a business move in that it, it allows Apple more control over its pipeline and more control over the profit margins and things like that. It's probably the reality is going to land somewhere in the middle, right? There's, it's going to bring some better technology, better user experience, and better display technology to the devices that makes using them easier or better or more enjoyable. But it will also help Apple's business case. Hmm. We can settle this easily. We, we, we can just call our good personal friend, Dane Cook. He's got one of the like three the wall displays that have ever been installed. <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll sit down and watch some stuff and, and figure out what, what it's good for. Yeah. Do we have to? Do we have to talk, Richard? To Dan? I, I would watch you. Ideally, no. Hang out with Dan Cook. <laughs> what would you guys talk about? <laughs> You're just on your phone the whole time. Just like I don't want to talk to you or look at the wall. I'm just here because my boss has told me to come. All right, we're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk more rumors. This time, not Apple. We're gonna talk about some Samsung rumors. Big event coming up. Stay tuned. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And we're back. Dan, I feel like you, you are on rumor patrol today. You are Fleetwood Mac. What's going on with Samsung? That was a big that was a big claim. You've got a lot to live up to. You're Fleetwood Mac now. Not a rumor. This is actual <laughs> real news. They are okay. having an event on February 1st. Uh, it is the first Samsung event of the year, and we're expecting to see the next generation of the Galaxy S line, which would be the S23. This is a little bit earlier than Samsung usually has an event. Typically, we yeah. see it later in February, closer to when MWC happens. Because they do like Mobile World Congress. Yeah, they usually try to beat yeah. MWC by like a week or two, but now they're beating it by like a whole month. And it feels like it's coming up really fast after CES for all of us that just kind of slogged through CES. <laughs> but whatever, it's happening February 1st. And today, actually, we got rumors that of the first like images of the S23 that we've really seen in terms of renders have leaked. And, you know, they look like phones. Uh, <laughs> what can I say? That sure is there a phone. The thing, the thing with the S23 launch uh-huh. is that like this is not like the, the, the area that Samsung really like pushes boundaries, right? That happens with the folding phones later in the year. This is like the mainstream Galaxy phones that most people, at least here in the US, if you're buying an Android phone, you're probably buying a Galaxy S phone. And this is like... When the uh, these look like iPhones, they look well. They, I mean, they look like Galaxy S phones. They really haven't changed the design on these the in a couple of, of years. These photos, no, the camera modules. Yes, so the it looks camera like, modules look Samsungy, but everything else it about looks like these they've look also like eliminated the camera bump, which would be a change in that, like it's slightly thinner now. It's not as wobbly when you put it on a table and things like that. But these are slab smartphones. That's still a bump. They're not like breaking the the mold here with what this design looks like and stuff like that. You can expect it to have the latest Qualcomm chip inside of it. That's a pretty much a given. It will probably have upgraded cameras. It might have a slightly better, slightly brighter display. 
it's likely that there will be the S23, the S23 Plus, the S23 Ultra, just like the S22 models that preceded it. And so, you know, there will be the S23 Ultra would be the top of the line. That's probably going to have a stylus and the most cameras and the latest technology and stuff like that. And then the other models will have some features stripped out or just smaller size screens. Can we expect a Sprint exclusive Galaxy S23 Epic to 5G with a hardware keyboard? Is that, is that likely? Is if that yes. Sprint still existed, I'm sure you could have. <laughs> Where's going to be our army green one with like the plastic case so that you can check it out of your car and it'll survive? That's always my favorite yeah. like variation on the S, the Galaxy S. Yeah, series. they haven't done like the active models in a couple of years, I don't think. Uh, those were always like the ones that like were super chunky and rugged and could like take a beating, but they, it's been a while since I've seen one of those released. They should just do that with the regular line. Just make it yeah, more rugged. Just give me some chunky phones. Yeah. But like the thing that's really throwing me on looking at these renders is the wallpaper on these things just looks ripped straight from Apple a couple of years ago. When they first did the notch and they tried to hide the notch, you know, by the, by doing like all the color but curved on one side, just barely missing the notch. All of these have the exact same wallpaper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would say that's not a new move for Samsung. When they first launched phones with the hole punch camera, they did the same thing with their their wallpapers. They they like hit it, it just like with the way the wallpaper promo wallpaper worked. That's wild. Do you think is is this one going to have a notch or is it going to be a hole punch? Oh, it's almost definitely a hole punch based on these rumors or based on these images. It's just the most iPhone looking Samsung device I've seen in a very long time. Like they usually don't ape Apple to this extent, and this looks real iPhoney. Well, if you look at the S22 and the S21 before it, it kind of had some more distinctive like design traits around, especially particularly around the camera. Like you had that like metal housing that like bent into the metal frame of the phone and stuff like that. And that mm-hmm. was kind of pretty distinctive design trait. And now it's like they seem to be removing that. They seem to be going with, it's hard to tell exactly, but maybe the sides are a little bit more square, which is giving you that iPhone as type of look to the modern iPhones and stuff like that. The can- the back is very plain. It's just three three holes. <laughs> There's no like adornment to it and things like that. Uh, so I want it's, seven. I don't know. I mean, like, obviously we have not seen these things in person. We are working off of like the very first kind of image leaks that we've seen so far. But yeah, I'm with you that like, these aren't super exciting. Looking. Perhaps they just don't care. <laughs> look, you have, you've got how many engineers devoted to making the, the Galaxy Fold's hinge work? <laughs> And the screen not crack. So just a guy being like, oh yeah. I, I, I have a feeling they you don't care have that much time. They sell way more S23s or S S. And also than, than everyone else's Zero. phones look like this too. So maybe you're not so worried about saying, oh, we're copying Apple. You say, look at a phone. It is what, this phones, is what phones look like. like. Yes. For better or worse. Do you think this is gonna be the year Samsung's just like them's are phones? Here's your phones. Take them. All right, see you next year. Like, do you think they're gonna put a lot uh, of effort no, into the Sunpack? That's not Samsung's MO. Yes. Uh, you, well, so the, th- oh, I, I didn't even mention, this is their first in-person unpacked event in like three years. I think they're wow. going to go all out. I think they're like the last. Big speed. I don't remember the speed. last in-person unpacked event I went to myself, but up until the pandemic, they were like doing these like really tech heavy presentation like the super elaborate oh super elaborate they had like stages with screens underneath the presenters and curved up behind them and all of like orchestral music and everything was like this big production and stuff like that and i think they might be really excited to go do that again because they haven't been able to really do that because you don't really get that same impression through a virtual presentation so we're going to get something besides these phones then right because it's going to be really sad if they're like look at this incredible stage and here's the phone Richard said we don't really care about it, and he's correct. Enjoy. Like, they can't, like there's going to be other cool stuff they're going to have in it. Like, head, we, there were some headphone rumors this week, right? Did I read that right? Uh, well, they, they released a new feature yeah. for the existing Galaxy Buds 2 Pro, which just came out last August. So you can now record 3D audio with them. So that's kind of cool. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen any rumors for headphones, and I haven't seen any rumors for wearables. Samsung had a really big fall for wearables. They launched the Galaxy Watch 5. They launched the Watch 5 Pro, and they've been pretty well-received and pretty popular. So I'd be surprised if we see any wearables. It's not typically happen at, at this year's or this time of year event. It's really, they focus on the S-Line because the S-Line is their moneymaker. Okay. And no, no note. The note's dead, right? No, the S the S22 essentially embodied the note last year, and it's pretty reasonable to expect that the S23 Ultra will embody the note. It'll have the stylus and the more squared off design 
uh, that works well with the stylus for writing on the screen. Well, it's coming February 1st. You guys get excited. We'll absolutely have, we'll probably yeah. see more rumors. Not far away. Before then, we'll we'll have a big breakdown of it beforehand. It's going to be great. Richard, there's also, there was some news with HBO Max. There's a bunch of news this this week, I feel like, for HBO Max. The Minx, this, was, this is something I personally was very excited about. Minx was the show that nobody watched. Look at your faces. You have ne- Do you even know what Minx is? I watched Minx. I thought they canceled it. They did. They canceled it. HBO. I only heard of it when you said that they canceled it. <laughs> You're like, oh, bummer. But so Minx was this show about like 70s feminist porno magazine. It was on HBO Max. It got canceled. Stars has now picked it up oh. and is going to be airing the second season because they filmed a whole second season. And then HBO Max was like, no, we don't want to pay for it. Take it. We don't want it. And so it's going on Stars, which happens to be owned by Legendary, which also produced Binks. But it's like, it's good. It's kind of good news because we had so many weeks of stuff getting canceled and just disappearing and getting yanked from the service. So it's nice to know that some of this stuff is going to find a home, I hope. I really want to mm-hmm. see what happens in that back half of the Nevers. And meanwhile, on HBO Max, where you're getting less than you used to get, you will now be paying more, uh, at least on the <laughs> ad free plan. It's getting uh, $1 more expensive effective today if you're a new subscriber. Uh, I think kicking in uh, like next month if you already subscribe. Wow. $15.99. Uh, how much more will I have to pay to mooch my father-in-law's cable uh, account that gives me access to HBO Max? Well, you, you've seen it with Netflix. It starts with, with price hikes all the time. <laughs> and then suddenly they're like, you know what? We're not so into password sharing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a sad day. Like so, so I think you're going to see kind of all, all the streamers go down the, the same path, and that's something that uh, Emma Roth uh, wrote, wrote about recently about why streaming all of these plans is getting more expensive. We we know that Netflix has had price hikes every year, right? Just about for several yeah, years a- now. Apple TV raised its price a month or two ago. Yep. The price of Disney Plus has gone up. Now there's they're bringing in ad packages. HBO already had the at the ad package, so that you kind of had that option. But they started at 15 bucks essentially. Two years ago, you know, years ago now, we are almost three years ago. Wow. 2020. Woof. <laughs> it has been a pandemic. <laughs> but they, yeah. they had not raised the price, but they started high uh, at, that, at that time. It was a it was a bit more expensive than, than Netflix and everything else mm-hmm. because it, because it was HBO. But now HBO Max is the, the primary HBO. And, and I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure how people feel about this. I feel like if, if you were enjoying paying for HBO Max, you're not necessarily worried about it at a dollar more, but you might miss some of the content that they pulled. And I, I wonder how it's going to go when they, when they blend together the HBO Max and Discovery apps. And and, then and this is just them. this and is just the, the ad free version of HBO Max. Yes, which is least, which was historically the same price as what you would pay to subscribe to HBO Max right. through your cable network. But nobody has cable anymore except for Dan's father-in-law. So. Mm-hmm. I hope he never cuts the cord. It's it's just me. I'm I'm the only person who still has cable. Those people are still going to be paying fifteen dollars a month. The rest of us are going to be paying sixteen dollars a month. Yeah, and so everybody. Yeah, I don't. Get cable? I mean, like to Rich's point, That's the I don't trick. think this is not the price hike that causes people to cancel. Yeah, but it is just telling of like where this is going. So like then like in a couple of years, it eventually will be another two dollar price hike or whatever. They're going to get to that twenty dollar price point where Netflix is already at for its four K plan. And then you combine that with they are removing things, they're removing old shows, they are removing, canceling new shows and stuff like that. And now it's just like, I don't know, it, it ain't great. Well, I mean, you know, if, 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 if my best friend David Zaslav was here with us today, he would say, well, look, we, we added Fixer Upper. Mm-hmm. We added some other TLC shows that only my mom and my sister watch. I love you both, but you have trash taste in TV and film and you're not listening to this because you have trash taste. <laughs> So you're not even listening to the best show on t- on on podcast networks ever. Rude. But like the vet, like they they have added stuff. They've pulled a lot out. They pulled a lot out that we that most of us considered kind of core HBO stuff. Really high quality cartoons, really high quality TV shows. They pulled that Westworld I think is probably the most notable example of a show that just got like just gone. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you didn't catch up on season yeah. 4? I, I was shocked. Like I knew that they had pulled it, but when I actually went to HBO Max and I searched for it and it wasn't there, I I, I just I didn't even know how to feel. <laughs> yeah, you're just like I mean, I personally didn't though, watch, and I haven't watched since the first season, so it, it was more it was a vestige. I mean, I, I think that was in the interest of uh, uh, public health to uh, <laughs> remove Westworld, to, so nobody fell down that that rabbit hole of watching Westworld. 
like this is the only reason Neli is. That's actually probably what Neli is doing. He found some old copies of Westworld. Somebody <laughs> somebody sent him some. That's where he is right now, furiously watching that season four. He's the only one. It was just him and David Zaslav, who then said, "Absolutely not, kill it, kick it off the network." But yeah, I'm like, I think he, Zaslav would say we, we're adding a bunch of content. We're gonna be adding more with this with this new product that they haven't that may be called Max, just simply Max, which is a terrible name, great name for a kid, terrible name for a streaming network. And my question is, are they going to increase the price again? Are we going to see Max roll out in six months and then have to pay even more money? No, I don't, I don't think they'll increase it in six months. Uh, when, when, when they roll out Max, they'll keep the price the same. And they will say, and that's why they raised it now. Like that's that's the reason. Yeah, for they raised it, it now, so so they they will be able to keep it the same. And then a year later, six months after or that, whatever, okay. then you'll you'll get the price hike for that. And then they'll. It's just like a, a, a frog in boiling water. It's they just keep a little turning up the heat over time, uh, and then you just keep paying it until you realize, like, wait a minute, Netflix isn't worth twenty dollars a month, and you cancel it, like I did. <laughs> I mean, I still pay for all of them. I have no money for anything. Someone help me figure out how to budget. Can't pay my rent, but I can pay for HBO Max. But I won't and pay I for Max. I told you about cryptocurrency. <laughs> Richard, Richard, no. I, I can't lose any more money to you, sir. I have to, I have to like I have to have a retirement at some point. We'll be living in your house. Um, the I guess the other kind of th- news for me that was really surprising this week was John Deere saying we're gonna allow you to repair tractors, which is a big moment for right to repair advocates. I mean, nobody here has a tractor to my knowledge. Unclear. Dan, you, do you have a tractor? Uh, no. Uh, Richard, Richard lost his tractor in the cryptocurrency. Uh, it was unfortunate. I, I took some losses on last Ethereum. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, these, these, the, we're talking about like tractors, commercial level tractors. No, no, no. We're talking about, stuff like no, that. Not, uh, you got to move that hay. You gotta, you gotta feed the cows. Not that far from where I live, they have a John Deere like facility where you can see these huge tractors and combines driving around on the streets all the time. It's, it's a amazing. <laughs> like seeing them in person is really isn't there, awe-inspiring. It's just like I can't believe something is that big. They're fun to sit in. So, is, isn't there a huge catch with this John Deere news though? Yes. Like a big yeah, yeah. So this, it's been kind of a flashpoint over the last few years in the right to repair thing because farmers have a lot of kind of cultural cachet, political, economic importance, uh, you know, to, to everything that we do. And they've been saying that we have a problem. The trucks, the, the tractors and, and all of this farm equipment is getting more technology based. They have to repair things on the farm. They're, they're not near some like uh, they can't go to the Apple store when, when their tractor breaks down. Right. If they want to fix a part, if they need to make if they need to tweak something because it's not working for for what they're doing. They want to be able to do it. They want to be able to get in there. Some some of these people who are on farms have computer experience are, you know, kind of hacking them and doing their own thing, making them run Doom if they want to. Yeah. And John Deere doesn't like that or hasn't liked that and, and has pushed back. Uh, but now, yes, with, with this agreement, they sort of said that farmers should be able to repair their own tractors. But there are some loopholes that kind of allow them to get out of this deal if they want to. So so it's not because it wasn't with the yeah. government. It's with this the, agreement isn't with the government. It's just with like a group of it's like an organized group of very passionate farmers. Also if you call those organized groups where they all collectively come together to make bargaining agreements and stuff, a union don't doesn't go well. I did it one time. Do not recommend. But but the, this was with the what the American American Farm Bureau Federation. Yeah, the American Farm Bureau Federation, not a federal organization, just a group closely tied with the federal government, closely tied with farmers, technically an independent group as far as I know. And and they just they, they, the agreement was, yeah, we agree to let you do it up until a point and also we reserve the right to rescind it at any point if any right to repair law at the state or federal level comes out that we don't like. Yeah. So basically, so, do it so our way or else. They, they've turned this group uh, in, into an ally for them and an enemy against people trying to pass these right to repair laws, potentially. And you might remember New York just passed a right to repair law at the end of this year, which is like pretty groundbreaking and, and, and was a new level for it. However, at the last minute, just before it went live, there was a huge change to it that, you know, it doesn't apply to farm equipment and it doesn't kind of apply to the things that people want from John, uh, from John Deere. So, so that already is on Pewters. the books, but I guess John Deere's happy with that one. 
And I guess if one came out where it did apply to their equipment, then they would say, all right, well, we're, we're out of this agreement now. It gives me the, it gives me the wiggies. But uh, I mean, if it's a law, they're forced to comply. So like, whatever. You're right. Like if, if a law comes out, they have to comply, right? But right now they basically are pitting. They're basically saying, okay, farmers, you can either put your weight behind this law and get your right to your little fancy right to repair laws that you think will solve everything passed, or you can join with us and we'll let you do most of what you want without having to worry about laws, without having to worry about going and talk, writing your congressman. That's so boring. Just work with us. Like it's a very uh, seductive routine going on here. Not a romantically seductive, just seductive. Yeah. I, don't, I don't trust them. No. Don't trust them. This always always makes me think of like how 1930s people were getting very I'm going back in time y'all I'm sorry 1930s people were getting super upset about film they felt there was there was too much titillation in film they felt too much was happening so they said we're going to start passing a bunch of censorship laws to censor how films and TV are being made or TV didn't exist how films are being made and all of the the film companies got together and said no we're going to figure our own thing out with absolutely no oversight from the government theoretically good thing that then created the Hayes Code, which was made by like this guy who was like a preacher and had very strong feelings, and a lot of them were really racist and sexist and homophobic. And then they made the MPAA, which has continued and perpetuated a lot of that racist and sexist and homophobic stuff. When like maybe just some a little regulation of like, hey, if it's got certain titillating things going on, maybe reconsider having kids go and see that without permission from their parents. Uh, a similar thing happened with, with music, too. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. am I calling for more regulation? A similar thing I feel happened like I'm calling for censorship and regulation. Ever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the industry trying to come up with to a self-regulation to prevent government interference, for sure. Because government interference might do things that they don't agree or like. Um, and sometimes it's been effective and sometimes it works. I don't know how effective parental advisory stickers were when I was a kid, because that just made me want to buy it more. Um, but, you know. Ooh, when you see that M on there, you're like, I need that. That's Am I game. allowed to have it? I don't care. That's the one I want. Yeah. I just murdered so many people. I'm Now I have nightmares. But, all right. Well, we're going to take a break for a second. It got really dark. We're gonna, okay. <laughs> I know, it got really dark. Somebody say something funny, quick. No, no funny. All right. Okay, I love those, those mature-rated games, but we should probably move on. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back... We're going to, try to have a lightning round. Some really fun gadgets this week. Did I select all the gadgets this week? You be the judge. <laughs> I, I wonder how you'll be able to tell. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll be back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and... What do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And we're back. I think the thing I really want to talk about was somebody over last week sent me a video of a guy wearing glasses that had e-ink built into it. And I got so mad. I was furious. And then Sheena today saw the exact same video in her own like work throughout the day. And was like, I have to blog about this. With the exact same amount of fury I had. And it was a beautiful, beautiful moment. So thank you, Sheena, for that. But these things are called, hold on. This is from a startup called Soul Reader. It's an they, they're claiming it's going to be about $350. They're working with Palmer Lucky, who who made the, the who founded Oculus and then went off to do a bunch of like, he's like in satellites now or something, right? Like he's he in, he's in government surveillance. <laughs> yeah, he's building like weapons and surveillance systems and stuff. But I guess he took a break from building weapons and surveillance systems to work with this company called Soul Reader on these $350 e-ink glasses. They're just a hands-free display but instead of like a color display in there, it's e-ink. 
totally opaque e-ink. Okay. I don't understand why it exists, but I'm really like, like part of me is delighted by it because I want new uses of e-ink, but the other part of me is horrified by it because who needs this? Does this delight you as much as BMW's car that's covered in e-ink panels? No, because that's cool. I want a car that has color chaining panels on it. I want to like go through a tunnel and come out the other side and be like, ah, I'm a whole new person. It's red now. That's neat. This is like, I want to put some glasses on and I guess just hang out and, and read that way. I think there's probably definitely a use case for people who don't have as much mobility, but I'm still a little confused by their existence. As a person who spent an ungodly amount of money to buy an item in a video game that doesn't make me any better at the game, and and then bought a mm-hmm. version of that in real life to represent the useless item <laughs> in the game that is also useless in real life. <laughs> I think the problem with this is that it's a little too useful. It's too close to being yeah. useful. Like like you said, like there there are kind of use cases for it, but still, it's it's glasses that you would put on to read something, and you'd pay three hundred fifty dollars yeah. for that experience. And then the only thing you would be able to do is read something. Right. First of all, words are evil and bad and written, the written word shouldn't exist. <laughs> Second. Rich, Rich, do you know what your job is, my dude? <laughs> do you know what we do here? <laughs> Look, I, I, What you do, Richard does something very different. <laughs> the, with the way I do it. <laughs> Just with, with such utter hate and distaste for each word that comes out of the keyboard. Every day. Just mercilessly day. killing all that copy. Re- regretfully. But I, I, I certainly wouldn't want just the written word to be my entire experience and interaction with the world. It just, I, I just can't do it. And, and, and I can see how it's useful. That, that's, I think that's the problem is that it's too close to being something that's useful. If it were completely useless, I'd be into it. Yeah. Do you guys remember a few years ago there was a trend of gadgets that were like visors that you put on that were like video screens and they had headphones attached yes. to them and it was supposed to be like this like personal theater experience. I think uh, Dieter had uh, reviewed one. They're still getting promoted on YouTube. Like like pe- people still <laughs> see them. We we it that's like what this is except for reading. It's, a, it's an Instagram commercial. Yes, you can read all I don't of know. your I, I have never seen anyone outside of CES using See, it was that la- see, it was that last word that you said that, that was I was into it until you said reading and then I said nope. <laughs> if it did video, Richard might be into it, but otherwise nope. All right, Richard, what what's your what's your gadget of the week? What's 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 got you excited? Uh Chris Person brought the pine sill into everyone's life. He did. People got excited in, in, at The Verge like, about this. I don't fully understand what it is. And, and again, that is the key to making it interesting. It's $25. It plugs into USB. I don't know what it does, but I want one. I need it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so <laughs> Rich read the first line of the article and then just stopped. <laughs> Word's bad. Yeah, so he doesn't know what it does, but it got his 25 bucks. <laughs> He's got four of them now. I'm just saying it's a better way to live. <laughs> so the pine cell is a soldering iron, and you can dial in the, the heat you want. And it doesn't, you don't, usually you have to like plug a soldering iron in, and it's got a big golf cable and all this stuff. And it can be kind of annoying and, and awkward, and it takes a while to heat up, and you will burn the crap out of yourself repeatedly. And Chris guarantees you will burn yourself less with this. Chris doesn't know how bad I am at soldering. So yeah, this this is powered by USB-C, which is kind of like very convenient. You can run it off a wall war or you can run it off a USB-C battery, according to Chris in the article. But the, the key thing here is this is like $25 and it heats up super quickly uh, and then cools down really quickly. So maybe you'll burn yourself less with this one because it cools down so quickly. And it's just not as like ganky and bulky as like, the old school soldering irons that have not really changed in 50 years. It's $25 in this translucent. I'm in. I'll, I'll, I'll take two. <laughs> People, and, and it was wild, was like, everybody in chat at, here at The Verge, when when he dropped this thing, he was like, does anybody know what the pine cell is? Like, two people knew, and we're like, yes, I love it. And everybody else was like, no, I need it. Like, just <laughs> reflexively. It was like it was like the, the Sharper's image, Sharper image catalog. You just open it, and everybody's like, I want it right now. Like, so, and then all, a lot of readers, our readers seem to really, really like it too. Apparently it's better for the tips don't melt, like don't get all messy and gross as often. So very exciting. If you're in need of a soldering iron, 
Yeah, and it's easy to replace the tips and stuff like that. This pine cell has a terrible name. It's also open source. I don't know what an, like, he's explained it to me multiple times, what an open source soldering iron is, and I still don't understand, and I'm okay with it. I'm like Richard right now. No, actually. If you get the pine cell, you can go build your ploopy. I've got, I got to. You don't need to bring up the fact that my ploopy has been sitting in a Ziploc bag for six months. I was sanding. Well, I, you just need a pine cell. And then you can build your plume. I know. I just need the pine cell to finish. Yeah, it's going to be great. Okay, Dan, what's your gadget of the week? Is it this week? Or are you going to be cheating and say something from CES? I'm going to cheat and say something from CES. Uh, <laughs> I knew But it. Uh, <laughs> the, the reason I'm saying this is because this was actually our like best like smart home gadget that we saw at CES. And that article didn't come mm-hmm. out until after last week's Vergecast episode. So this is the uh, Akara Presence Sensor is like my gadget of the week. I'm super excited Uh for this thing. And I know Jen is really excited about it. Basically, this is a device that can detect, it uses millimeter wave technology, not like millimeter wave 5G, but like it it emits millimeter waves from it. And it can detect a person in a room or space really accurately and really down to like, minute movement so it knows that you're breathing and what it can do then is you can say like if i'm in this room don't turn off the lights which is like a problem with motion sensors in smart homes is that like when you have it's really great for motion sensors to turn on lights when you come into a room but then if you don't have your automation set up properly or they don't detect motion say you're reading a book or you're watching a movie or whatever it is and you're not moving enough for the current ones to see you they will turn the lights off after whatever time you set. So uh, this solves that problem. So now I can like not have my lights turn off in the middle of the day in my office when I'm sitting there just typing at my computer or, you know, eating dinner in the dining room and things like that. So I'm, I'm really excited. This came out in China a year or so ago. They've got a new version that's coming to the U.S. Uh, that's a little bit smaller, a little bit more uh, compact. And, and, and uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Is it going to support Matter? Uh, yeah. So the way that Akara supports Matter is through its hub. So hubs. The hub is going to be updated, and and then yeah, the the hub. Uh, I believe the M2 hub is going to be the first one that's going to get their software update to support Matter, and then all the devices that connect to that hub, which use Zigbee, uh, will be available to other Matter devices. I would say that like with Akara, Matter's not that big of a deal because a car itself already supports all of the major smart home platforms. You can integrate into HomeKit. It supports Google Assistant. It supports Amazon's. It supports smart things out of the box. So maybe Matter will open that up to even other or future smart home platforms that we don't know about yet. But for now, at least, Matter's not going to change much for your car experience. Um, but they're getting it. So good. Cool. Are Would you be able to like use it? Because you said it can detect breathing. Would you be able to use it and like mm-hmm. point it at somebody and be like, are they dead? <laughs> Flash I mean, the lights in the house if they stop breathing. In theory. Like new sleep apnea <laughs> detector. Like I, I, uh, I, I've seen some testing. There's been um, some folks on YouTube who have purchased the Chinese version and like just imported it where they were and have tested it. Mm-hmm. And like the level that the, you can set it to like detect motion is so finite like and you can set zones of like okay beyond 10 feet don't ignore anything and that like it's like there's almost like a virtual wall right at 10 feet where it just stops detecting oh that's cool anything beyond that and as soon as you break that barrier uh it it can detect you or seize motion which is just wild it's really cool that's very very cool okay never mind that sounds fun that's that's not cheating i'm gonna cheat though again and i'm gonna add one more because there's an air conditioner Jen saw at CES that she did not mention in our excellent CES episode that went up this week. And it's an air conditioner with an LED screen on it. It's a mini split AC unit with a digital photo frame. 27 inches. It's made for it by LG. It uses the ThinkQ app. It appears to just be one of the 27-inch ultra-wide monitors slapped on the front. <laughs> That's what it looks like. <laughs> of this air conditioner with like a big, like garish frame. I've never been more delighted by something. I, I like what they're trying to do here. Yeah. Like because those mini split ACs are not attractive. And when you have them in your home to be effective, they basically have to be in almost every room. Right. So you've got a bunch of them and you've got a cut hole in the wall and install them and stuff like that. And they're not pretty to look at. So this is like an attempt to kind of mask it with technology and design. And like they get a little way there, 
it's it looks better than a non mini split, I think. And maybe it's supposed to be like maybe someone isn't going to notice that there's an air conditioner up there or behind <laughs> it. I don't know. They'll just be like, why do you have this 27 inch digital picture frame with some water in it on? Hot mounted wall. high up on the wall. Like, yeah, why is it like all the way up there? Towards <laughs> like up the at the ceiling. <laughs> why is it pointed towards your fan? What's happening here? <laughs> this is so good. Mini splits I, are very good for efficiency though. So like yeah, they, they do have splits, lots of benefits. Mini splits Design is not one of them. I just love like so many ways they could have gone about. To, they could put some wood paneling on there. They could have put like some, I don't know, some leaves or something about it. Instead, they're like, because <laughs> everybody has just leaves randomly hanging in their home. Instead, they're like, we're going to put a picture frame on it, a 27 inch monitor, just slap it on there. Yeah. Well, now they can sell you an art subscription. Oh, there we go. Uh, to display on the screen. So that's, it's got recurring revenue. There you go. You got to think about the business here, Alex. I, I have, I'm so sorry. I forgot. Yeah. There's no pricing on it. There's no release date, so if you are looking for a new mini split and this sounds incredible to you, I'm sorry. You're probably going to have to wait a little while. This might not ever appear, but you can just do this with your current mini split. Just just go buy a 27-inch monitor and uh, duct tape it up there, right? Yeah, you know, bolt a vase amount to it. And- All right, guys, that is it for the Vergecast this week. We will be back next week next wednesday we've got a great episode uh monica is coming on to talk about laptops and a lot of the stuff she saw at ces victoria song is going to be there and talk about all sorts of weird fda regulatory weird wonkiness that is happening that kind of started to come out of ces and then we'll be back for the regular friday show next week it's going to be super fun and you can reach us all on Twitter, or if you want to hit up Richard, you can go buy some FTX coins from him. He's still selling some. He would love to sell them to you. Some rich coins. I got them all. Some rich coins. You can also reach <laughs> Richard on Twitter at RJCC. Dan is DC Seifert. I am Alex H. Uh, can I just clarify, if you can find me on Twitter, I don't really use Twitter anymore. You can, you can also find me on Mastodon. I'm going to be the, the rogue one using Mastodon. But if you go to my Twitter account wow. that Alex just mentioned, there's a link to my Mastodon where I actually post. All right. So go to his Twitter account and then go to his Mastodon account and then buy some cryptocurrency from Richard. Neil, is so sorry he missed this week's episode. That's it. I'm not going to say rock and roll. Instead, Andrew, shut up, Siri. <laughs> Siri is saying it Instead, for you. Andrew, <laughs> play us some rumors. Hey, Siri, play rumors by Fleetwood Mac. Oh, it didn't work. I'm shocked that Siri didn't work. All right, that's it. (laughs) That's it. We'll see you next week. Rock and roll. And that's a wrap for VergeCast this week. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, subscribe in the podcast app of your choice or tell a friend. You can send us feedback at VergeCast at TheVerge.com. This show is produced by me, Liam James, and our senior audio director, Andrew Marino. This episode was edited and mixed by Amanda Rose Smith. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters, and our executive producer is Eleanor Donovan. The Vergecast is a production of The Verge and Vox Media Podcast Network. And that's it. We'll see you next week. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work.